0: Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Oh, that was strong. I like that. Wasn't it stronger than last time, Donnie? Uh, I think so. Okay, okay. Well, I mean, there's no, there's no comparison. But you know, it's just good to see you guys. So thank you for all of you who are praying for me this week uh, with my little knee situation um, coming off of that uh, 4-3 victory of the parents versus coaches in the Imago Day Soccer League. And so, um, so I'm preaching hurt. But, uh, you know, I, I grew up with the greatest example of playing hurt, Michael Jordan. Uh, if I was a LeBron fan, I would probably would have hung it up and just flopped, <laughs> cried, sat on the bench today. But uh, as opposed to that, I'll just bring you the Word of God. So, um, yes, my, 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 my. Our heroes, right? Our heroes. So, um, so and again, the, the, we're so glad to have all the kiddos in the, in the service with us, the little, little ones, uh, because there's no child care. Uh, and it's fitting because... Uh, In my study this week, there was a moment where Trey and I were the only ones at the house, and he wanted to play, but I had to prep. And um, So basically what he asked me to do was to get the chalk paint to paint my hair. So he stood on the back of my office chair, put the chalk paint in my hair, and I typed. So uh, this is what happened at the end of that. (laughs) So uh, Pastor Donnie said it's fitting that uh, you know, there was kids in the study while I was prepping, now there's kids out here, so everybody is welcome today, is what we're trying to say. So g- g- good work, son, good work. So, uh, but kiddos, don't we love superheroes? Yeah, yeah, yeah okay, yeah, there's, there's some superhero love out here. So when I was a kid, I loved watching The Rocketeer. Parents remember that? Yeah, there you go, there you go. <laughs> and uh, Tick, and Blade, and now we have... Iron Man, Captain America, Wonder Woman, Spider-Man, they've all come back onto the scene. So in the Avengers, in-game, it brought in $3 billion, with a B, billion dollars worldwide, and quickly became the highest-grossing movie of all time, even bigger than the Titanic. So we love superheroes because we want someone who's going to stick with it no matter what. Uh, someone who is uh, selflessly going to give of themselves to help others. And then also in a world where morality is so gray, we want somebody who's going to be objective and they are going to fight for what is right. Biblically speaking, I'm confident that for all of us, the Apostle Paul will be at the top of our list of Christian superheroes. He was schooled by Gamaliel. He was suffering for Christ. He was shipwrecked multiple times. He was uh, let down from a city wall in a basket And then he is hailed often as the greatest missionary and theologian of all time. But despite all of this, in today's text, we were reminded that Paul is no super Christian. He's a regular guy. And at times, he too gets discouraged. And so on Paul's second missionary journey, he faced roadblocks and persecution, unlike his first. And so now we come to uh, Paul limping into Corinth, And now he is going to be encountered with even more hostility. And Paul himself said in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 3, he says, he admitted, I I came to Corinth in weakness and with great fear and trembling. And so, unfortunately, superheroes, they don't exist. Neither do super Christians, including the apostle Paul. There's only one super anything, and that's Jesus. And so let's jump into this first verse where we see Paul moving from Discouragement into mission. And the first verse gives us a little bit of context as he arrives uh, in Corinth. It says, uh, "After this, Paul left Athens and he went to Corinth." So, this first verse provides us with a little bit of context for the following verses. uh, A moment of reflection on our own culture, and also, thirdly, it gives us a glimpse into Paul's missionary strategy. So, first, for the context. So, Paul arrives in Corinth from Athens. And last week we talked about how Athens was the intellectual center of the world. And so now he leaves Athens, he comes to Corinth, and in Athens we know that the sin that was primary there was a the sin of the mind. And now we see in Corinth, it's a primary, primarily sin of the flesh, especially primarily sexually. And so the, 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 uh, the, the temple of Aphrodite, the goddess of love, sat on a hill 1,900 feet above the, the city, and the temple of prostitutes, they regularly descended the hill, to worship the goddess by fornicating with people in the city. And so this was all compounded by the fact that Corinth was the uh, economic center or commercial center of the region, and folks would come there in droves for work because it was a trading hub, but they would also participate in the wickedness that was there. So this gives us a moment to reflect. So this is a perfect storm for sin to blossom. You have sexual immorality that was considered noble and righteous. So in other words, they called good evil and evil good. And they have prostitutes in abundance. And then also, there's a bunch of people who are far from home, far from their their moral accountability structures, who are then just jumping headlong into this madness. Corinth, in many ways, reminds me of Amsterdam's infamous red light district. And then more and more like our country, who as a whole is taking on the mantra of Sin City, which is whatever happens in Vegas... Stays in Vegas. But we know this is not true. Our sin, it changes us. Our actions, they drive us either towards or away from God. Our sin changes our appetites. Our rebellious actions grieve the Spirit of God. And our actions, they leave real, physical, emotional, psychological effects on us. No wonder why we're a society that's so broken, destroying ourselves over our thirst for sexual pleasure. Be on your guard. We don't want to be like the, 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 the frog in the kettle having the, the cultural heat turned up on us, and before we know it, we're cooked. So we have to be vigilant. This stuff happens slowly. You drift slowly, so keep watch. Stay vigilant. There's an adversary who's out to destroy you. So also in this first verse, we get a bit of uh, Paul's strategy. In this chapter and in the previous, Paul takes his, uh, his missionary efforts to very important cities. And so if those cities are transformed, Paul says, everything downstream from it will benefit. So this remains true today. Whatever happens in Los Angeles, in New York, in Atlanta, in Dallas, it impacts everywhere else around it. And so Christians, uh, including me, are prone to be discouraged and grub about how bad the culture has gotten around us. But if we neglect putting anything good and righteous into the culture, into the top of the stream, we have to stop complaining because people who don't know the wisdom of God are going to put ungodly and unrighteous things into it. And so this is what what Paul helps us do. His example is one that says, get farther up the cultural stream and dump everything of the gospel of righteousness, of Christian virtue into it, and that's how we're going to change the country. And so in verse 1, Paul arrives in Corinth, and now let's move to the next three verses that that talks about how God begins to encourage this exhausted apostle. So verse 2, and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. So, uh, period. (laughs) And when Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And so these verses, they overview the blessing of gospel partnership. And so as I mentioned in the introduction, Paul, he was here in Corinth, but he was very discouraged. And so he is no doubt a strong and brave and zealous man, but it didn't mean that he was without emotions. It's important for us to see exactly what the Lord provided for Paul when he was discouraged. It wasn't a uh, a vacation to the tropics, although that would be really nice. It wasn't a gaming spree. It wasn't uh, a large amounts of money, riches, and wealth. God gave Paul friends. So when he was weak, when we're weak, we can never underestimate the power of loving community. Nobody is a Lone Ranger Christian. And so if you're pursuing your faith solo, that's not a sign of strength. It's a sign of folly. And so let's take a look at who God sent to Paul. Remember, This is the Apostle Paul who wrote several books of the New Testament. He was schooled by the best and the brightest. He was one of the most powerful intellectuals of his day. And when he was weak, God didn't send him his intellectual equal, his social equal. What he sent him was somebody who was equal to him in Christ. You guys see that? Any, Any Christian can encourage another Christian in the Lord. And that's such good news. And so someone who is, uh, I mean, I, I, think, I think we often underestimate our ability there. So I just want to stop and pause to remind you of how we can encourage each other to continue to strive, even in our disappointment. So who is Priscilla and Aquila? Well, these are Jewish Christians who recently arrived from Italy as religious refugees. And so needless to say, Paul wasn't the one, uh, he wasn't alone in his need to be encouraged. Priscilla, Aquila, and Paul, they all came to Corinth and through trials, but the Lord's sovereign hand was still at work. And so I know if you, there's some of you guys in the house today who are, uh, who are aspiring to do the Lord's work. But it seems like you hit every roadblock and that you endure a delay after delay when you're trying to serve Jesus. And I, I can't tell you what God is doing, but what I can tell you is this, that the same God who allowed this trio to limp into Corinth is the same God who is sovereignly working all things together for His glory in your life. That's the fact right there. Is it hard? Yeah. Do you, do you cry sometimes? Certainly. But there is someone who's sovereign, working everything together for his glory, and for your good. So let's take a look at verse 3. It says that because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were, for they were tent makers by trade. And so the term tent making was a little bit more broad, broad than just for making tents. So the tents were made uh, of leather and tent makers, they end up leveraging those skills for other, other products and things like that. And I'm also sure that you've heard of the term tent making in ministry before. So this term tip making is often used to refer to those who uh, have uh, resource generating or money making activities, but they're wholly given to gospel ministry and gospel work. Uh, but but they're doing, but they're not really paid by that Christian service. So it's important for us to notice that when Paul made tents, he certainly supported it himself, but he also leveraged that for the community around him. This was no plan B that Paul was doing this. It was uh, essential to his ministry in Corinth. So we're on solid ground when we say that Paul, he was uh, witnessing to Christ in, uh, as he was uh, working with leather, as he was in the marketplace, and also in the synagogue. And if you're bivocational in ministry right now, remember that you bear witness to Christ when you're shepherding the flock, when you're balancing a spreadsheet, or managing a project. So one last little word about work. Have you guys ever noticed that when you're working with somebody side by side, it binds you together? So for me and my dad, as I've gotten older, I found that w- when he comes to visit, we make things. And like sometimes it's stuff we want to use, sometimes it's stuff we don't want to use. But we, we make things. So uh, he came to my house a couple years ago, and we made these like, valence boxes. Is that what they're called, babe? The, the, the little box that looks pretty, supposedly, over the window. And, and we moved from that house, but they're still in my garage because I don't want to get rid of, babe, the thing that Dad and I made. <laughs> it's special to me. <laughs> I like it. And, and also, when you come into the church house, people always are asking the question, well, how do I get plugged into the church? How do I build relationships? And I said, well, you serve together. God has designed us to be bound together when we labor side by side. So when you serve together, it meets a real need in the church. It traverses barriers with your brothers and sisters that you, that, you, uh, uh, that you might have because you're pursuing a shared kingdom goal together. And it provides an opportunity for yourselves to pour yourselves into something that you'll have in common forever. Our work forever binds us together as it did for Priscilla, Aquila, and for Paul, because this wasn't their last go-around. They, they took the show to somewhere else, too. God bound them together in their work. And so in addition to Priscilla and Aquila, Paul was encouraged by the arrival of Silas and Timothy. And so along with the joys of seeing other brothers, Silas and Timothy, they brought with him a, a gift, a monetary gift from believers from either Macedonia or Philippi, which allowed Paul to turn his attention fully to pro- proclaiming the gospel and preaching full-time. I love this little, this little side note, but you, hey, single guys, you see, you see the single guys being trustworthy, bringing the money, being diligent, being dependable? Amen. But I love these four verses because they really do dignify both full-time ministry and also tent making. And in fact, I think if Paul's life is an example for us, if you aspire to ministry, you'll probably be doing both, One some this time, others a different time. And that's just how it goes. And so whether Paul is preaching full-time or part-time, his message was the same. At the end of verse 5, it summarizes his proclamation by saying that uh, the Christ was Jesus. And so what happened here is that Paul used the Greek word Christ, which uh, parallels the Hebrew word Messiah, the anointed one, and he insisted that Jesus was this Messiah. And so in short, he was telling people in the synagogue, he was saying, Jesus is the one that you've been waiting for. And we do the same thing today. So you've been trying to fulfill that desire, but nothing that you've tried works because it's Jesus that you've been waiting for. We try to, to, to drown our sorrows, or we try to fix the pain, the thing that's nagging us. We try to escape from it, doing whatever we can, and what we know is that when we come back down from whatever we took, that your problems are still waiting because Jesus is the one who can fix them. There's times when we try to find comfort in bolstering our investment portfolio, but we still always seem a little bit unsure. It's because Jesus is the solid rock that you can stand on. Jesus is the Christ, and He's the one that you have been waiting for. And so in verses six to eight, we have Paul uh, who experiences a little bit of change in direction in his ministry. So from verse six to eight, it reads this way. It says, and when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I'm innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. He left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue believed in the Lord and together with his entire household, and many of the Corinthians hearing Paul believed and were baptized. And so these verses convey what happened when Paul proclaimed that Jesus was the Christ, that Christ was Jesus. And uh, consistent with Paul's second missionary journey, it says that they opposed and reviled him. So to this point, Paul had been devoting all of his time to uh, evangelizing the Jews in a synagogue. But these folks, they didn't uh, uh, take to Paul's message well. And so Paul warned them. He says, hey, there's impending judgment coming. And then he shook off his clothes, which is symbolic of Paul sort of relieving himself from that responsibility. And he understood that it was the Messiah that was going to save him. This This is helpful for us today. So we remember that in our role in the equation of salvation, we are the ones who simply proclaim the truth pray, and try to live consistently with our our proclamation. That's our role. And that's exactly what Paul does here. He proclaims that the Christ is Jesus, and he tries to live according to that. And then we pray, and we pray, and hopefully that takes some pressure off of us, knowing that if we're just faithful and do these things, the Lord will work in our midst. And so since Paul was met with such opposition in the synagogue, he shifted his ministry to the Gentiles. And, so, and I'm sure for Paul, this, this transition was, a, was with a heavy heart because he had a great burden for his kinsmen in the flesh. But this makes sense, after all, because he experienced some, some of the, the same things as them. There was probably some familial, like broader familial bonds with them. And I think many of us have a deep sense of responsibility who those, those who share our background and heritage and things like that, that's Okay. But it's interesting how God worked here. He sent Paul to the Gentiles. He sent Peter to the Jews. But if you take a step back and look at it, you would assume, oh, uh, Paul has so much more to offer the Jews and Peter so much more to the Gentiles. But I think what was going on is here is that God is showing his strength, not the strength of, of, of any man. They were working in their weakness, and in their weakness, God was showing how powerful that he is. God was showing off there. So after shifting away from the synagogue, Paul, he, he shifted his ministry to a new center of gravity next door. I thought that was kind of funny as I was reading it. It's like he just, all right, I'll just go next door. So some people say that Paul went next door to sort of flaunt his ministry to the Gentiles in the face of those who were worshiping in the synagogue. But I'm actually convinced that he went next door such a close distance because he still wanted the Jewish folks to have access to the proclamation of the gospel. And in fact, Paul's plan, it worked because a Jewish man, the ruler of the synagogue named Crispus, became a believer. And so in in verse 8, it says this, his entire household his entire household believed on the Lord Jesus. And so oftentimes because of our, our convictions that, are rightly, that rightly highlight accepting Christ as our Savior, cultivating a personal relationship with Christ and our ongoing personal repentance, we have uh, trouble sometimes with what the Scripture means when it says his entire household. And so I think it's uh, a, the most appropriate reading for us to understand that his entire household got saved. And so in my own sort of experience, I've seen God save entire households as a means of grace. The point was, is that it's a blessing for a new believer to have someone to lean on as they are newly following Christ. I remember years ago, I was an overly zealous seminary student. I was in the city of Amsterdam. It was a Friday night. It was kind of raining a little bit outside. But I was like, you know what? If the city of Amsterdam is not going to read the Bible, I'm going to read the Bible to Amsterdam. You know, again, zealous. I'm sure there was there's Bible readers in Amsterdam, but you know, here I am. You know, uh, 23 and with the Bible. You know, here I here I go. Uh, so I go out there to Dam Square, which is like a, a water dam square, and uh, <laughs> me to joke. Uh, and and I start reading the Bible to whoever was walking by. It's fantastic. I mean, people, they would come, and they would just listen, and they would go. And there's these two guys who come sort of stumbling outside of the red light district. And they were obviously uh, on something that they've taken. Uh, And then, uh, you know, they, they come to me, and I'm just reading the Bible, and I just look at them, and they just stand there listening. And it's unbelievable that they sobered up in the course of two or three minutes. Unreal. And they started hearing the word of God. I, I go to Ephesians chapter 2, read about you're dead in your sins. Now, you know, it's for by grace, your safety, your faith. And then and, and, and I and we just started talking for a while, and I just put my Bible, you know, just held it for a little bit. And I just said, So, so like, do you guys believe this stuff? And he's like, Well, you know, we've just been going through hard times. My dad just died, one says, another one says, I just lost my job, so we wanted to come here and try to escape all that stuff that was at home. And so they they actually found their escape well actually they found someone to strengthen them in the midst of that because both you and Aunt jamie came to know jesus as their savior that night and so then so i'm so grateful that both you and and jamie believers now friends since they were in grade school like kindergarten are going back to scotland at that point as believers together i'm so glad the lord saved both of them I'm so glad that they have each other to lean on. I got their email addresses. I sent it off to some IMB folks who I knew were nearby, and they followed up with them over time, and I'm so grateful that they have each other. Uh, Timothy C. Tennant says this. He says, Christian conversion is always personal, but it's not necessarily individualistic. It's always personal. You have to make that choice to follow Christ, but it's not necessarily individualistic. We have each other. So this section ends with a declaration that many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. Praise God for Paul's changed plans. He came there to work in the synagogue, but he ended up next door. And as discouraging as I'm sure that was, God was up to something. Uh, Corinthians heard Paul and believed and were baptized. So if you're in a season of discouragement today, If you're in a season of changed plans today, rest in knowing that our God is trustworthy and true, and He's not left you behind. So let's turn to the final section, moving from the 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 morning uh, that feature to to this uh, sorry, where He moves from morning and He goes to uh, encouraging Paul. So uh, verses nine to eleven, and the Lord uh, the Lord said to, to Paul one night in a vision. Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not let uh, and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a, a year and six months, longer than he stayed anywhere else on his journey so far, teaching the word of God among them. And so although uh, Paul finally had a W with Christus and his family under his belt, God still interrupts this narrative with verses 9 to 11 with a special vision of the Lord to encourage Paul. So God was, was not only kind to allow Paul to experience fruit from his ministry, he also came to him and displayed himself to him. And so this is Paul's recommissioning in these verses. And so I'll be honest, I'm a bit jealous. I wish that if I was, uh, you know, wanting something from God, looking for direction from God, I wish he would show it to me in a vision. That'd be great. I don't know, a burning bush. He's been doing that before. He's done that before. And so just imagine you, you have a big decision in your life, and then you ask God for direction. You say, God, should I go with this church plant either internationally or domestically? Should I take a certain job? I got two offers. Which one should I take? You know, should I marry this girl? Should, should I move to a certain place? And then he appears to you in a vision and answer your question. <laughs> That'd be awesome. But while he might not have spoken audibly to you, he's still guiding you. He still helps us. He hasn't left us without any sort of a, of a guide. We have the finished word of God that's alive and active and sharper than any double-edged sword. We have the will of God in our hands. It's not a question about what God wants us to do. He's given it to us. He's showed us in his word And so sometimes we act act like it's such a scary thing to take a step for the the kingdom's sake when the reality is that God has given us the plan here. So we also have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Old Testament saints wish they would have had the Holy Spirit with them. So the, the Lord used to dwell in a tent that they would move later in the tabernacle, but now he dwells in every person who has claimed Christ as Lord. And then lastly, we have the body of Christ that surrounds us, encourages us, admonishes us, supports us. So this is such a wonderful thing so we can move past discouragement by knowing that God is a good father who still guides his children. And then also in verse 9 to 10, God told Paul, do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you and no one will uh, will attack you to harm you. And so God gave Paul two promises here. Uh, One of them is a promise of protection. He promises uh, Paul this specifically for his time in Corinth. He said, you know what, God is uh, kind enough to protect him in the city, and he's going to depart from there and go somewhere else with the gospel. And then he also promises him his presence. Paul took uh, comfort in knowing that the Lord is near to the brokenhearted, and God promises us himself, who is love and protection and compassion. And the best thing about this this promise about uh, presence is that this is the promise he's given everyone who's in Christ. Especially because the Holy Spirit is living in you. If that's not good news to you today, you need to press into the Lord Jesus more. Taste and see that he is good. Trust that if you pursue him, he will find that his presence is actually the best thing that he can give to us. This is an amazing promise for us right now. This is an amazing way of God saying, I'm not going to just send you out there into the wolves. I myself will be with you always, as he says in the Great Commission, to the close of the age. So there's several implications that we have from this text. And the first implication is applying this recommissioning to our lives. In verse 10, uh, it says, for I have many in this city who are my people. And I'm, I'm aware that this was stated directly to Paul. But I can't help but think in the Raleigh, the Durham, Chapel Hill, Wake Forest, Cary, Apex area, there are people who God has predestined that have yet to claim Christ as Lord. And this is actually a great thing, thinking about God's sovereignty and evangelism, sharing our faith. God has people out there, and we have to share the gospel with them so they can respond. All we have to do is proclaim that Jesus is Lord. Live out that life before them and pray. That's our call. This is what Paul is is, is an example of for us. And so there's many people in this city who are God's people. And the second point is uh, for unbelievers, acknowledging that Jesus is the Christ. Follow the example of Crispus in his household today. Follow his example. What's holding you back? The Lord will have you. He's done all that is necessary for life and godliness. He's taken on all the sin that separates you from God on the cross, died for it, was victorious over 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 your sin and death because the wages of sin is death. Jesus took that on for you. He's victorious over that. So now you can come to him. I don't care what you've done. I don't care how bad you think you are. I don't care how either strong you think you are. You're not all that. Jesus is. He has done everything for you. Trust Him. He'll have you. He'll give you joy and peace, comfort and rest that you've not found anywhere else. And continuing on, uh, thirdly, acknowledge your partners in ministry. Acknowledge your partners in ministry. I'm sure uh, that there are many people in your life who have been like a partner, like a Priscilla or Aquila or a Silas or a Timothy to you that you may not even have recognized that God put them there for that. Write those folks' name down. Thank God for them. Let them know how, how helpful they've been to you in your own life and ministry, as they've upheld you in times of difficulty and times of discouragement. And then also be vulnerable with those folks because they can't help you and pray for you if you don't, if you don't let them know what's going on in your life. Be vulnerable, even though Apostle Paul didn't have it all together. And then next, embrace the change of plans. You may have to move uh, knowing that God is with you, but not knowing where you're going to go. As my dad would say, you can't steer a parked car. You have to sit with that one for a little bit because it's it's deep. You know, you think you hit the bottom of it? Oh, it's even deeper. Because if you just sit there turning your wheels praying, God, should I go this way or should I go that way? But you never move. God can never direct you. So Pray, yes, fast, yes, but take a step knowing that God himself is with you, that he's given you the word, he's giving you to, uh, others to you to help you along the way. We're not flying blind here. Take a step in faith. Take a step, prayed up, full of the Spirit, and the Lord will help you with that. This is good news. If your plans change, that's okay. At least you're going somewhere and God can redirect you, and even in those places where you had to step away from God is giving you more skills. He's making you more resilient. He's bringing you closer to himself in the process. And then lastly, receive the Lord's presence. Receive the Lord's presence. Our obedience and and serving is not just for the good of others. It is, though, but it's also for ourselves. So when we serve others, we are more keenly aware of our own dependence on the Lord's presence in our life and ministry. Has, Has anybody ever been there? You stepped into a situation that seemed impossible. What am I going to say? Well, the presence of Almighty God is with you. If you think you you stepped into a situation, you're over your head. I, I, can't, I can't minister here. I don't have what's going on. Well, the presence of God is with you. And so a, a long time ago when I was a, a ministry intern at a church... Uh, this is like, you know, kind of facetious, but I asked the pastor, like, what I should do because a family had a, a member who was hurt, but they asked for me as an intern to come to the hospital. And I asked one of my, one of my mentor pastors, like, what should I do? He's like, well, don't show up there running your mouth and ruining the whole thing. He said, it's a ministry of presence. Be there. Let the Lord use your, your presence. Yes, speak, but like, don't go in there and have to make an apology and apologetic for the problem of evil and all this kind of stuff. Just. Be there. Receive the Lord's presence. You're dependent on him. He will use you for his glory. And then also, it will show you how much you need the Lord in your life. And so we have a God who is good today. Amen? He is with us. He is with every believer who has a spirit and dwell in them. His presence is with us. He's given us the word of God and others around us. So we, we too can move from discouragement to mission for God's glory. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful that you um, understand that you've made us and we're dust. We are those who can't do it all right. We're those who get wounded. We're those who are down. But God, you give us yourself and we thank you for that. And I, and I pray that this week we would experience that good gift of your presence with us in ways we haven't before. God, I I do pray that for anyone discouraged in the room, ministering to family members, ministering to uh, their their coworkers, ministering uh, in this church or in their neighborhood, God, I pray that you would bless them. Encourage them with other brothers and sisters in Christ. Show them that you're still with them. Give them fruit, we ask, because there's many in this city who are your people. And we pray all and thank you in in this in confidence in your name. Amen.